Today, you are you. And that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Dr. Seuss said that. <laughs> Thought that was pretty cool. And it totally just embraces everything that we're heading towards today, our, our uniqueness and how that links up with God's plan for our lives. Uh, we're all pretty unique. I am seeing more and more the uniqueness that's kicking in um, in our, our son Braddock's life. He's about seven months old now. And, um, but people, this is a little irritating, people are coming up to me now and pointing out the, the differences between me and, and Braddock. And the favorite one is, um, oh, look, he has hair. And then they go, oh, he must get that from Anna. What? Like, I never had hair? Like, there's no hair in me to contribute? You people are weird. <laughs> Buddy of mine um, went into a Home Depot, and he's a lot like me, like, no good at anything that, like, is in Home Depot. Not quite sure why he was there in the first place, but he was there nonetheless, and he's checking out. And there's a bucket full of these deals right there at the cash register. And uh, he pulled one out and he's looking at it. No clue what it is. And he turns to the cashier and he says, um, what, what, what is this? And she goes, a pencil? Oh, really? It's, it's, it's flat? What's up with that? Oh, come on, like a roofer's pencil? Still, he has no clue what this is, like zero. That doesn't help me. What, what is that? I don't get that. He looks at it a minute later and goes, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stupid or something, but roofer's pencil? She goes, oh. you know, like if you're up on a roof and you set it down, then it won't roll off. And he went, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. He bought the entire bucket and took them home. <laughs> How much more valuable to a roofer is this pencil because it was designed with a specific purpose in mind? This is so much more valuable because it was designed flat so that if you're a roofer, it will not roll off the roof. So much more valuable because it's designed with a purpose. You guys, it is no different for you or for me. All of you in here were designed unique with a unique purpose. There is no one on this planet who can do what God put you here to do. And how much more valuable are you to God because of the unique abilities that He's given you, the, the unique perspectives He's given you, the unique interests He's given you, the unique uh, abilities, the unique backgrounds, the unique experiences, the unique weaknesses. How much more valuable are you to God because you were designed on purpose, for a purpose? Well, here's the thought that we're just cruising after today, and that is this. When you combine your uniqueness with the purposes of God, you, you almost always be in the sweet spot of His will. You just almost can't go wrong when you combine your uniqueness with the purposes of God. Because we've seen people who go for all of their uniqueness and bail on the purposes of God. 
And they do that and they've got some worldly success. They've got some outward success that we all look at and go, wow, they're unique, they're talented, they're gifted, and they're really using it and they're going for it. But since it's a, a, like not linked in any way, shape, or form to what God has for them, at the end of the day, they're going to breathe their last breath and whatever they were living for in their uniqueness and talent and abilities, well, that's it. If they were all about being a race car driver or an actor, a musician or a contractor or a banker, or whatever it was, they'll breathe their last breath and then boom, that's, that's it. But only God's word, God's purposes and God's people will endure for, for eternity. And so for us to take our uniqueness and link it up with God's purposes just turns our life into an epic one. We've been looking over the last few weeks at this idea that God has been writing these epic stories in the lives of people for, for all of history and is continuing to, to do that today and desires to do that in your life and, and in my life. We've also seen in the Christian community people that, that are on board with God's purposes but maybe don't go and use it with their uniqueness or their abilities. They go, well, I, I, you know, I don't have anything to offer and... You know, they don't need that here, so I'm just going to kind of, I'll do whatever they need. I heard that they need help in the kids' area. I can't stand kids, but I'll go help there. <laughs> we do that sometimes. And I honor that. Like, it's cool that you're stepping up to the plate and helping out when we need it. And that's, that's awesome. But you do that too long, going for the purposes separate from your uniqueness, how God created you. And then pretty soon, like, you're just wiped out, burned out, tired, and then you're just not that effective at what you're doing either. Well, that link of both, your uniqueness and his purposes, is the sweet spot that we're going after. And so there's a guy in Scripture this morning that um, is pretty rare to talk about. I don't know if maybe even half of you know who this guy is, but we're going to look at him this morning. He sums this up so well for us, gives us such a cool picture of how when, when God gets a hold of your uniqueness and you're willing to link it with something that he's all about, it just does amazing things. And so if you have your Bible this morning, would you open up to the book of Judges? Judges is uh, near the front of your Bible if you're not real familiar. And you're going to go to chapter 3, or it'll be on the screen if you want to check it out. <coughs> Judges chapter 3. Just a little bit of a background on where we're diving in historically here. By this point, Moses has already led all the Israelites out of Egypt. They've escaped. They've been, got to the promised land. They have turned down that opportunity initially to take over the land that God promised them. They're forced to wander for 40 years in the desert. Uh, then Joshua leads a group of people in again, second time, to go in, take over the promised land. And that's where they go route Jericho. Rahab helps them out that we looked at her uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, after that, they have got into the promised land. They're living pretty okay. Elders, Joshua passes away, and then elders start ruling the, the nation of Israel. Then the elders pass away. And uh, now this book of Judges takes place in this kind of dark period in Israel's history. It's between um, where the elders were leading Israel, but before they're going to get a king to lead them. So they don't really have much of, of leadership going on. And uh, a generation has really passed away that really knew anything about God. And so that hasn't been passed on to the people that are living here. 
And time and time again, the Israelites are just going rock bottom. They either go for God for a little bit and then they just tank it for a long time. And at the bottom of the barrel, then they cry out to God. And there's a kind of this reoccurring theme all throughout Judges. It's once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Once again, they did it. And then they call out for help. When they call out for help, then God provides these leaders, these heroes, individual people to step up in this moment and deliver the Israelites from whatever they need delivering from. And these heroes, these leaders were called judges. And so that's really the, the focus of this, this book. And uh, the first judge was a guy named Othniel. And then the second judge, the second hero, the second leader that steps up and is going to go for God's purposes with his uniqueness is a guy named Ehud. And that's who we're looking at today. So look at Judges chapter 3. Go to verse 12. It says, Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Okay. Israelites are in the promised land. And they're not following God. So God is going to use some poor circumstances to get the attention of his people. And so he allows these other people to come in and rout the Israelites. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites swoop in. The king of Moab is this guy named Eglon, which was, he was a pretty hideous guy. I mean, just really evil guy. Um, some of the stuff I was reading this week linked him in some respects to a Hitler type of personality. Just very vile, evil man. He swoops in and uh, is just ruined over this, this group of people. The Israelites are, are scuffling under this for, for 18 years. And so they cry out to God. Look at verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. When Moab um, came in, and Eglon routes the city of Palms. That's Jericho. That's the same city that Israel had once gone in and used that as a strategic entry point with Rahab and all of that. Well, now that city has been taken over, and the king is setting up shop right there. And so God sends this guy named Ehud. He's a left-handed Benjamite, son of Gera. Now, just a little side note here. Um, Ehud, his name means, I will give thanks or I will give praise. His dad's name is Gira, and that name meant chew the cud. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer name, but uh, like a cow would chew his cud. But scripturally, when that um, name or phrase was used, it almost always referred to meditation, uh, that you would meditate on God's word. You kind of chew on it. And so just an interesting side note then, how cool it is that meditation gives birth to thanks or praise. Maybe stretching it too far, but I just thought that was cool. Thanks for going with me on that, that journey. Um, he's a Benjamite who's left-handed. Uh, Benjamin was the smallest tribe of Israel. They were kind of the underdogs, the, the little guys. Um, Benjamin means son of my right hand. 
and Ehud's left-handed. So right off the bat, he's left-handed dude in a tribe that's named after right-handed people. So again, he's going to be a little more unique than the next guy. Although actually, the, the, ironically, there were several left-handed Benjamites, and that's noted in history for some reason. Um, but this is crazy. You guys laugh all the time at me. Um, this left-handed thing. It wasn't just that Ehud was left-handed, that he favored usage of his left hand. In this specific instant and phrasing right here, that phrase left-handed actually translated that he was shut of his right hand or crippled of his right hand. So it isn't just that he's unique, that he's left-handed and he favors usage that way but that he was shut or crippled of his right hand. He couldn't use his right hand, maybe even some scholars say his whole right arm, and that forced him to use his left hand. So now this changes. This isn't just this is a unique individual. This is someone most likely who had a disability that God was going to use as a hero. I mean, to be left-handed in that culture back then was actually something that was looked down upon. Just to be left-handed, you were thought of as malicious or dark or sinful. So this was probably an area of great frustration or hardship in his life. And yet this uniqueness, this weakness was the very thing that God was going to use with his purposes to do something absolutely incredible. God couldn't sit back and let this Hitler-type leader continue to run evil over his people or, or just to run evil in general. And so he raises up this hero who says, yeah, I'll take this uniqueness. Ehud could have just gone, you know what, I'm disabled. Ehud kind of gone, well, this uniqueness, what, what is left-handed going to do for God at all? I don't know what your talents are. I don't know what your abilities are. I don't know what your interests are. I don't know what your weaknesses are. I don't know what your disabilities are. I don't necessarily know what your background has been or sin issues or whatever. But I do know that regardless of how God has shaped you, He wants to link that uniqueness, that weakness up with His purposes. Because in his hands, miracles can happen. And he's looking out over this crowd right now going, I see about 500, 600 miracles sitting right here if they would embrace this idea of linking their uniqueness with my purposes. And so let's find out what happens. So the Israelites sent him, Ehud, with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. They send him off with monetary gift. Verse 16, now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Now this is significant. During this time, um, the enemies of the Israelites had gone and gotten rid of any blacksmith or ability to make weapons real, in a real easy fashion. And this just made it so that their enemies could never rise up against them. So um, for the judges, you'll find it a lot that they had to actually go make their own weapon specifically for a certain situation. Ehud goes and makes this foot and a half long, 18-inch dagger sword sort of deal, and then he straps it to his 
right thigh inside. Now this is crucial. This is where his uniqueness, this is where his weakness is actually going to be the very thing that God's going to use. Because of this, most people were right-handed. And so they would put their sword on their left hip because it was so much easier if you went into battle just to reach across and pull the sword out of the sheath across your body. They wouldn't put it on their right side being right-handed because it's so much more awkward to lift it out and then go, they'd mow you down before you ever got it out of your deal. And so you'd put it over here and just pull it right across your body. So when you were being patted down or frisked or checked going into a situation like that, then they would check on your left hip first. Occasionally, they would just kind of check on the right hip if that was covered, but sometimes they wouldn't even do that. And so in this cool sort of James Bond moment, Ehud is going to smuggle in, because of his uniqueness and his ability to do so, he's going to smuggle in this sword, and he's going to put it on his right thigh. And even if they're checking for maybe a secret one, they might would have checked the, the left side because then again you could pull across. But right here, they're gonna, he's going to put it here. Being left-handed, he can reach across and just pull that deal out. You don't want to pull it from here or it could be bad. And so <laughs> if, he, if he's going to go in, he can sneak it in. They're not going to check. It's going to be easy just to dive in, pull that thing out, and, and do what he needs to do. So verse 17 He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Some scholars put this guy at over 500 pounds. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He goes in, they give the money, and then he turns to his servants and says, go ahead and go back. And then shortly after, Ehud takes a walk. And I don't know what happened at that moment. I don't know if Ehud at that moment was like, there's no way God could use me. I'm left-handed. I'm crippled. There's no way. I've got the sword, but maybe I don't need to do anything. Maybe I can just do nothing. It's a lot of us get into this situation. We think about our pasts, our experiences, our talents, our abilities, and we go, well, they couldn't use that, or I just really am not that talented, or whatever it is. And we go, no, I don't think that I need to do anything. Except as Ehud continues to walk, maybe thinking about that, he takes a walk. And at the idols near Gilgal, something snaps in his heart. And he turns around and goes back to do what he needs to do. Link his uniqueness with God's purpose. Well, what was it about the idols at Gilgal that made him turn back? Well, Gilgal was a a pretty crucial place. The Israelites had built a monument to the power of God, what God had done in a specific moment right there at, at Gilgal. They piled these rocks and it was meant to honor the power of God in that moment. So they had built this deal up. But when the king of Moab came in, that monument to God had been desecrated. It was covered in um, fake gods, idols, graven images. Just It was a mess. And I think when Ehud saw that, he saw that the power of God, the honor of God was getting trampled under. He knew that he needed to do something. He couldn't just sit back anymore. He needed to do what God was calling him to do. It would be... It would be like um, 
If you opened the newspaper or turned on the TV and you, you saw this image, how does that make you feel, you guys? You can get that off there. It's hideous. It makes me sick just looking at it. What if you went to Washington, D.C. and you walked up to the Washington Monument and it was covered, graffitied in Taliban propaganda? How would that make you feel? And that's just talking about stuff with our country. Imagine how Ehud felt when he walked up and saw a monument that was erected to God had been kind of defamed in that way. I think he went, man, I know I can't do nothing. I need to go back and do what he's called me to do and trust that he's going to use my giftedness and uniqueness and weakness in this way. And so he goes back and he says, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, quiet. And all his attendants left him. Okay, not a good move right there. Um, If an enemy of yours ever comes to you and uh, you're like, yeah, all the guards can just go, then, you know, think twice because that's not smart. Verse 20, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Ew. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room and behind him and locked the, locked the doors. He sword goes in, and he just lets go. Gross. Pulls that deal out and kills this king. He did what only he could do in that moment. And the uniqueness of even being able to sneak that thing in. I mean, how much stronger do you think his right, his left arm would have become not being able to use his right side? Because there's no excuse. Even if it is a weakness, I think God can use that. How many of you are here several months ago when Chris Simning spoke? He had the muscle and nerve disease and amazing guy. Twelve years old. He is totally normal. Falls asleep, wakes up that next day and can't hold his head up anymore. And then almost died several times over junior high and high school. Now this guy travels all around the country speaking. I've seen literally hundreds of students and adults' lives changed because of his uniqueness and weakness being used by God. When he could have just gone, well, I messed up. Now I know God can't use me. He actually just moved here a couple weeks ago and is a part of our church here, part of this community. It's such a cool thing to have his uniqueness here verse 24 after he had gone the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked they said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house he's going potty (laughs) i like this they waited to the point of embarrassment (laughs) because when he goes he goes But when he did not open the door of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. 
While they waited, Ehud got away. He goes back to the Israelites. He tells them what happened. And then they realize that this is a moment to seize the opportunity. And they follow this guy into battle. And they're able to conquer the Moabites. Look at verse 30. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. That's the coolest part. When you link your uniqueness with the purposes of God, you can accomplish great things. You're very effective. You're living the life that God called you to. But on top of that, it, re- it just leads to peace. You just walk through your day feeling like, wow, I'm really peace. I'm really doing what I should be doing with my life. I see that the stuff that he gave me, good, bad, or in between, was not on accident, but for a purpose greater than myself. And so I'm, I'm really at peace. And then when you're that at peace, they will give peace to other people. You guys, what happens? What, what happens to us where we lose that? That sense of uniqueness and that sense of passion. And we just kind of go for the same thing. Everybody, oh, everybody else is doing that. We'll just settle for this and settle for that. And I had dreams once, but uh, you know, I, you know, that didn't work out. Or nah, I'm not really that unique. I just want to blend in. Everything. What, what happened? Because I mean, when you're a kid, like kids are like all about unique and crazy and wild. And kids don't do anything normal. I mean, they're living loud and they're dreaming big and they're just crazy. Kids are just wow. They're going for it. They just cruise around. Little kids, especially, they don't just walk anywhere. They run, skip, gallop, hop. They do all sorts of fun things. They don't, they don't talk the same. They always got to scream real loud. They even got to take like a normal sentence and they got to make it just creative and crazy and wild. They walk out and go, hey, what are we having for lunch? That's what kids do. Where does that go? What's happened? I'll tell you what happens. We grow up. We get broken down. We get beat up. We get hammered. We get real. Anybody tell you that recently? Hey, get real. Which translated just means just be boring. There's nothing unique about you. Certainly nothing unique about your God. So get real. Life is supposed to be horrible. Mm. It's like a buddy of mine said, uh, he thinks it's just totally bums God out. That God gives us the colors of the rainbow with which to paint our lives. And he goes, I think it bums God, bums out God that we choose beige. We worship at the religion of beigeanity. We just settle and forget the uniqueness and forget this unique God who's inside of us because that's the huge deal. That's the bigger deal. We have creator God who is able to do, as it says in Ephesians 3.20, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine through his power that's at work within you. In Corinthians, he says that he's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. We have this huge creative God who is alive in you. 
And so if we're in his image and he bears the image of a creator, then every single one of you in here is creative. Every single one of you in here is unique. None of you in here is a mistake. And when you begin to combine that uniqueness with his purposes, man, watch out. I don't care if you are super good at drawing or you're just really good with kids or you're good at building things or you're just really good at organizing stuff or you like to clean things or you you just have a passion for fashion or you like skateboarding or whatever it is god can take that thing that passion that he gave you and now you go do those things for him in his name in this community out in the community out there And it changes everything. So don't lose those dreams. Don't lose that sense of uniqueness. It was a rainy day. In the back lot of Walt Disney Studios several years ago. There was a young artist that was walking from one building to another quickly because he had an umbrella, but he was still getting kind of wet. And he's on Donald Drive on the back lot of the Disney Studios and a limousine pulls up next to him as he's walking quickly in the rain. And the back window of the limousine rolls down and it's Walt Disney himself pokes his head out and he says, hey, could I walk with you? The guy goes, yeah, sure, Walt, but can you hurry? Because it's raining out here. Walt gets out and ducks under the umbrella and they start to walk and tells him this story. I share it with you. Walt turned to this young artist and he says, do you remember when you were a little kid and it was raining outside and you were stuck inside? Yeah, I remember that. And remember when you were inside and your parents wouldn't let you go out and you're looking out and you're watching the rain come down? The rain would trickle off a pane of glass and fall and splash on a leaf and pool down in the bushes below. Yeah, I remember that. And remember when you're looking past your bushes and past your yard and out into the street out there and see the rain coming down and then all of a sudden you start to see other kids outside playing in the rain and you thought, no fairs. Who are their parents letting them play out in the rain? I want to play out in the rain. And he said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, remember then you'd look at them and you'd go, When I'm grown up, when I'm a parent, I'm going to be the kind of parent that lets my kid go out and play in the rain. That's the kind of parent that I'm going to be. And you began to dream about all the things that you were going to do and all the things that you were going to become and all the things that you were going to have and all the things that you were going to accomplish someday. What kind of car you'd have, who you'd marry, how famous you'd be, the things that you were able to do for other people. Do you remember that? And the guy said, yeah, I remember that. And they were just about to part ways. And Walt put his hand on the other guy's shoulder and he said, always remember that child you once were. And always remember that child's dreams. And always be becoming that child and that child's dreams. And the only thing I would add to that is that when you add the purposes of God to those dreams and that uniqueness and even that weakness, 
and always be becoming that sweet spot of God's will every single time. Do it! Let's pray. Father, um, I just can't thank you enough for creating us each so differently. There's not one mistake in this entire building right now. And things maybe that we thought were trivial things that we were into or interested in. God, just awaken our hearts, remind us that you gave us those desires and those abilities. Father, would you connect us with places, whether it's in this church or in the community, that we might use those things, but for you? Father, whether we're 10 years old in this room or 75, would you call us to a life that is celebrating our uniqueness? even celebrating our weakness as those might be the very thing that once you've handled and made whole, you could use the weaknesses or the mistakes in our own past to bring encouragement to the people next to us. Father, let us just live big and dream big and Celebrate your uniqueness in us. Give us vision for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. You guys, we love you very, very much. And God loves you way more than we ever could desiring so much that you go out and embrace that uniqueness, be reminded of that uniqueness, keep going with that uniqueness wherever it is that you're at go live that way for him I hope that you walk out of here today just going, so what's for lunch go be crazy a little bit today if you need something there'll be people up here otherwise you guys are out of here have a great, great week